Well, it's great to be with you all this morning. Um, I'm just so honored that you would ask or request that I would come and, and share. When Greg contacted me, I, I just laid it out for him. I said, I said, Greg, you know, I'm not much on preaching. I don't have a lot of experience preaching. I teach. For the last 26 years, I've taught in the classroom uh, in Russia and at Bethel and I absolutely love teaching. So if I accidentally break into just asking you all a lot of questions, um, forgive me for that. Uh, I'll try to get back to just sharing from Scripture as much as I can. Um, it's, a, it's a great joy to be with you. I brought my lovely wife with me. Um, she's my great encourager, but she also is the one that kind of does this if I go over time. So she helps me to stay on time because you know it's really dangerous to give a professor a microphone in a captive audience because you really want to yeah, share as much as you can. So this morning, what I want to invite you to do is open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of John, Gospel of John chapter 11. I don't know what your experience is, but there are times in my life where, where God will bring a passage of Scripture to my heart, and He just... You know what the, have you ever heard the old word ruminate? You know what ruminate is? I love, yeah, I love to use that word with my students because I'll, I'll look at them and I'll say, just ruminate on this for a little bit. And they kind of look at me like, huh? And then I try to give them an example. See, I grew up on a dairy farm. That's what cows do. When, and when a cow chews her cud, she ruminates. She just chews on it and 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 chews on it until she's ready to swallow it. Every now and then, God will give me a passage of Scripture, and he, just, he challenges me to ruminate on it. This summer, I was meeting with a pastor friend of mine, and this passage came up. And God challenged me to think through this passage of Scripture and to ruminate on it and to learn from it and to take principles from this passage of Scripture and apply it to my life. And so what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to share with you my journey of ruminating on John chapter 11. And my hope and my prayer is that there's something in here that God can use that will bless you as well and challenge you to ruminate for a while on the Word of God. So let's start. Uh, I'd just like to open with a word of prayer if we can. Father, I thank you for everyone who's here, and I thank you for those who are listening online, and I just pray, Lord, that you will send your Holy Spirit here, that you will anoint the words that are shared this morning, that your Word, Lord, will come alive. Open our hearts, Lord, and our minds to the things that you want us to see, to the things that you want us to learn, and to the call of obedience that you're placing on each one of us. Lord, this is your time. And we pray this in the powerful and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Pastors oftentimes will take a few verses and they'll read those verses and they'll preach half hour, 45 minutes on those verses. I'm going to do it a little differently this morning. I want to read the first 44 verses of chapter 11. There's a story here that I want us to, it, you're probably already familiar with it, but I just want to refresh our memory a little bit and read the Gospel of John chapter 11, starting with verse 1, and I'll read through verse 44. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? 
A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It's when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So when he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, Martha said. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? Jesus asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, Jesus said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. We need to, we need to understand the context of this story, what goes before and what comes after. You see, Jesus, just before he received word from Mary and Martha that Lazarus would sit, was sick, had been in Jerusalem. He'd been there for the celebration of Hanukkah. And while he was there and he was among the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they asked Jesus a question. They said, when are you going to tell us if you are the Messiah or not? This is in chapter 10. And Jesus looked at them and said, 
I've shown you many miracles and yet you do not believe. And then he goes on and he, he talks with them and, and he tells them, the Father and I are one. And at that, they wanted to stone him and kill him. And he rebukes them for that and he talks to them some more and teaches them some more. And at the end of that teaching, they once again try to kill him. And so it says, Jesus left Jerusalem and went across the Jordan to where John used to baptize. And he stayed there because his time had not yet come. And many people followed Jesus to the wilderness. And at the end of chapter 10, it says, many of those who followed him there believed And so that's the setting that, that we have leading into chapter 11. And so Jesus is there with his disciples. And, and something that, that I don't know if, if this is for, like this for you, but for me, oftentimes I think of Jesus traveling with 12 disciples. So there's 13 of them walking along the road. But in actuality, when Jesus walked with his disciples, there were oftentimes a hundred people or more that were following along with them. It wasn't just this small group of men traveling along, but there were men and there were women, and there were many people who were curious that wanted to, to, to learn about this man named Jesus. And so imagine this large group of people on the other side of the Jordan River, and a messenger comes and, and tells them, uh, Lord, Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus is sick and they're asking you come and heal him. The question I want to throw out for us this morning to contemplate, to ruminate on, is the question, who is Jesus? I think we all have an idea in our hearts and our minds who we think he is. But who is Jesus? If you have a pen and a paper, I, I, I would welcome you at this point to just jot down some thoughts that come to your heart and your mind immediately when you hear that question, who is Jesus? Because I thought I knew who he was. And when I was meeting with my pastor friend this summer and, 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 and God opened up John chapter 11 for me, I saw Jesus in a totally new way. And he broke the mold of who I thought he is. As we look at this passage of scripture this morning, oftentimes we focus on Lazarus because he's the one that died. He's the one that was in the grave. He's the one that Jesus rose from the dead. But I think what we need to look at or who we need to look at here is not so much Lazarus, but the disciples and Mary and Martha. Most of the scripture that we read this morning is actually about Martha. Martha and Jesus' interaction with one another. What is it that John wants us to see here as it relates to Jesus' interaction with his disciples and with Martha? So who is Martha? I think we're all familiar with her, aren't we? Most of our familiarity with Martha comes from the story in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus goes to the house of, of, of Mary and Martha and it says that when he arrived, Mary sat at Jesus' feet and Martha was scurrying around the house getting a meal ready and she became frustrated and she came in and she goes, Jesus, aren't you going to make my sister help? And Jesus says, Mary's chosen the better way. And so when I think of Martha from that story, I think of, of somebody who, maybe this isn't fair, but someone who has less faith than her sister Mary. And yet when we get to this story, we recognize that Martha's faith is amazing. So who is Jesus? I think there are many, 
My wife could tell you I sat down and I wrestled for hours and hours and hours about what to say this morning because there's so much here that you know, as a teacher, I just want to, I just want to turn on the fire hose and just pour it out, but that's not fair. So how do you narrow it down? So I've narrowed it down to three principles or three things, not principles, three things that I think Jesus wants Mary and Martha, especially Martha and his disciples to understand about who he is. We're at a transition point in the gospel of John here. If you're familiar with the the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John can pretty much be be split in two pieces. Chapters 1 through 10 of the Gospel of John is pretty much the first three years of Jesus' ministry. By the time you get to chapter 11, Jesus is moving into the last week or two of his life before the cross. And so chapters 11 through 21 are Jesus going to the cross, rising from the grave, and, and presenting himself to the disciples after he's risen. So there's a transition point here. Jesus knew his time on earth was limited, and so he's focusing in with the people that are closest to him because there's something he wants to teach them. There's something he wants them to see that they're going to be able to use then that's going to to carry them forward and carry the message of Jesus' ministry forward through them as they share their experiences with other people of how they lived with Jesus. So we see Jesus approaching the, the, the village of Bethany late. Lazarus has already died. And I, I appreciate Martha's response. Verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. She went out to meet him. She didn't wait for Jesus to come to her. She went out to meet him. And she has this interaction with Jesus on the street. Not alone. This isn't a private conversation. This is a conversation where the, the disciples are there and all the people following Jesus. So there's a crowd. Martha goes out to meet Jesus and there's a crowd. And she approaches Jesus. And in verse 21, we see Martha say this, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In fact, later on, when Mary approaches Jesus, she says the exact same thing. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. I don't know if you all are like me, but oftentimes when I pray, I try to give God advice. Lord, if you'll just do this, things will be better. Can I, will you give me just a little freedom this morning? Can I paraphrase what, Ma- what Martha and Mary said to Jesus? What's recorded is, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But really, she's scolding Jesus. If we could put it in the Kent E.B. paraphrase, it would be something like this. Jesus, if you'd have just listened to me, Lazarus would be alive. If you'd have just done what I asked. Anyone else had prayers like that with Jesus? Jesus, if you'd have just done what I asked. But then we see Martha's faith. See, she doesn't stop with that. She goes on and she says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. That's faith, you all. but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus responds to her. He said, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. 
In a sense, what we see here, if we look at the story of Mary and Martha, we see a role reversal. It's not Mary sitting at Jesus' feet now. It's who? It's Martha. It's Martha. And she's having this amazing interaction with Jesus. Ultimately, if we go to verse 27, she says this about Jesus. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's come into the world. Martha is declaring Jesus the Messiah. What faith! I did a study in Sunday school. I teach Sunday school at Brenneman, where my wife and I attend. And I did a study a year, a couple years ago. We took a whole year and we walked through the Gospel of Luke. You ever get a chance to do that, you all? The Gospel of Luke is absolutely amazing, the way Luke puts all of that together. But one of the things that I learned as I was studying for that teaching time is that for the Messiah, in Jewish mentality, in Jewish thinking, for the Messiah to be the Messiah, the true Messiah, he would never have to declare himself the Messiah. The people would declare him the Messiah. If he declared himself the Messiah himself, then he was a false Messiah. And that, that, that kind of puts into perspective then why the Jewish leaders are constantly saying, well, Jesus, just tell us, are you the Messiah? And he never comes out and says it. He says, look at what I've done. And we see here, Jesus doesn't say he's the Messiah. Who does? Martha does. So the, 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 the first piece that we need to understand is, who is Jesus? He's the Christ, the Son of God, using the words of Martha. He's the Christ, the Son of God. Now, I don't know about you all, but I sometimes miss stuff. You know, somebody says something to you and your mind has kind of preconceived what they're trying to say to you. Don't laugh, honey, because I know I do it too often. You know, you kind of think you know what they're going to say and so you hear them and you hear what you think they're going to say, not what they really say. Anybody else ever done that? Oh, good, I'm not alone. Thank you. We see that a couple of times in this passage of Scripture. We first see it with the disciples. If we go back to the beginning of chapter 11, when Jesus is with the disciples and he's with the people on the other side of the Jordan River, and the messenger comes from Mary and Martha and says, Lord, the one you love is sick. Verse 4 says, when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. What did Jesus say? This sickness will not end in death. But when we look at, at, at how the disciples interact with Jesus, they heard something different. They heard this death will not result, or this sickness will not result in death. Because when Jesus says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up, what do the disciples say? But, but Lord, don't go wake him up. Let him sleep, because he'll get better that way. 
See, they heard this sickness will not result in death. Jesus didn't say that. It won't end in death. There's a difference. Instead, this has happened so that God can be glorified and the Son as well. We also see Martha not, not hearing exactly what Jesus is saying. If we go back to the, to the verses in 20 and following, I'm going to start with verse 23. This is right after Jesus, or right after Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that the Father will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus looks at her in verse 23, and he says, your brother will rise again. And Martha's answer tells, her, tells us what she heard. How does she respond? She says, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection in the last day. She didn't hear what Jesus was saying. He wasn't talking about the end times. He was talking about today. How often when we pray and we ask God to do something, we don't expect him to do it today. Oh, we know that in the end it'll be okay. Now, this is, this is going to stretch just a little bit, but I, I talk to my students frequently about the fact that as followers of Jesus, there are many things he promises, but one thing that he promises us is that when he leaves, that he will send whom? The Holy Spirit, the counselor, who will live among us and in us. Who lives in us? God does. If God lives in us, you all, why don't we reflect him better. And as I, as, I, as I ruminated on this passage of Scripture this summer, something came to my, to my heart, and that is because God is a respecter of will, and he will only do in our lives and through our lives what we allow him to do because he respects our will. How much freedom do we give God in our lives to do what he wants to do? How much freedom do we give in our lives for God to do what he wants to do even when it hurts? I read a book this summer. One positive that came out of the quarantine is I had a lot more time to read. And I'm, I'm kind of nerdy. I love to read, okay? And there's a book that had been sitting on my bookshelf for probably six or seven years called The Heavenly Man. I don't know if you've ever read that or not. If you haven't, wow, get it, read it, because it's phenomenal. But it's a story of, of one of the five leaders of the underground church in China, And in this book, I'm not going to spoil it for you because there's, there's so much stuff in there, but in this, in this book, he makes a statement. He says, in the West, stop praying that persecution will stop in China because persecution is, is what makes us who we are. It's when we're persecuted that we have to lean into Jesus because we know that anything that happens is because of him, not because of us. And when persecution ceases then we begin to rely on ourselves. And as I read through that book, it just absolutely amazed me how daily they expected God to do something. Wow, I've got to hurry up. Something I want us to think about, though, is... is I think if, if, there's a, if there's a challenge that we have in the Western church, it's that we live to stay out of hell. 
Now let me unpack that a little bit. We're so afraid of what's going to happen in the end that I think sometimes we don't look at where we are today. We're so interested in eschatology, we're so interested in what's, what happens in the end that we miss the relationship today that Jesus desires to have with us. And when we look at Martha's response, she too reflects that. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. You see, she doesn't expect him to rise today. Why? Because it goes against absolutely everything that they were taught in that day. You see, John gives us a detail at the beginning of this story. When Jesus is approaching Bethany, he says, Lazarus has been dead how many days? Four days. In Jewish tradition, they believed that when a person died, their soul, their spirit stayed with the body for three days. On the fourth day is when the spirit went where it was going to go. So after four days, no chance of resurrection. Three days, maybe. Four days, no. So they weren't even expecting it. They weren't even hoping for it. They thought Jesus came to give them comfort. Let me ask that question again. Who is Jesus? Is he just for comfort? Jesus goes on in verse 25, and he says this to Martha. He says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, Martha told him. I believe that you are the Christ. So she acknowledges, this is where she acknowledges that he's the Messiah. She understands who Jesus is in his title, in his position, in, in the grand scheme of the Messiah. But she doesn't get who he wants to be today in her life. She doesn't believe it's possible. After she declares him the Messiah, she runs back into the house. She tells Mary, Mary, the teacher is here and he's asking for you. And so it says Mary comes out and she meets Jesus in the same place where Martha met him, out on the road, outside the village. And she says to, to, to Jesus the exact same words as Martha. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus it says he had compassion on them. Because Mary didn't come alone, just like Jesus wasn't alone. There were mourners that had come from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a two-mile walk from Bethany. Mourners had come from Jerusalem, and they were consoling Mary and Martha in their house. And it said when Mary got up, they thought she was going to the tomb, so they followed her. And when Jesus saw all these people mourning and he saw the grief of Mary and Martha, it says he had compassion on them. And then we have the longest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Now what's fascinating to me, you all, is the response of the people. Some of the people said what? They said, look how much he loved him. They saw and they got the compassion of Jesus. But there were others that said, well, he restored the sight to a blind man. Why couldn't he save Lazarus? Past tense not present tense. You see, in chapter 9 of John, that's where Jesus, if you remember the story, there was a man born blind, 
And it says, Jesus spat on the ground, made mud, put it on his eyes, and said, go wash your eyes in the pool of Siloam. And the man went and he washed his eyes and his sight had been given to him. See, he'd never seen anything. He was born blind. That was a miracle no one had ever performed before. You see, blind people who had their sight restored had lost their sight. This man never had it. And the crowd that criticizes Jesus, they remember that. That created such a stir in Jerusalem that weeks later, days later, they brought that up. And that was one of the reasons that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law wanted to kill Jesus. Because he did it when? You remember? On the Sabbath. And you don't work on the Sabbath. The second thing that I think we need to see as it, as, it, as it corresponds with the question, who is Jesus, is one who can do the impossible. One who can do the impossible, dot, 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 today. Not tomorrow. Not in the future. One who can do the impossible today. How much more can the church of Jesus Christ reflect the glory of God if we believe that God wants to do the impossible today? And we don't always have to understand it. In fact, sometimes we won't understand it. I love to teach. And so in the summer times, when I'm not teaching at Bethel, I'll take opportunities to teach other places and for the past four summers, not this last summer because of COVID, but the previous four summers, I've gone to a, a, a tribe in East Africa called the Maasai. And I teach. I teach pastors. The Maasai were one of the last tribes in East Africa to embrace education. And so many of the pastors that are 30, 40, 50 years old and older didn't go through education. And so many of them can't read or write. And, but they, they've got minds that are just as sharp as anything you can imagine. And so I go and I teach. And they remember everything that's said. Well, in 2016, we went and, and um, we were up in a mountain village and the pastors from, there, were, there are three churches in that mountain village. The pastors in those churches asked us if we would be willing to go down in the valley, walk down the mountain into the valley, and just go village to village, or, or it's called Boma, Boma to Boma, which is a grouping of houses, and just share our testimony, share about Jesus. So we said, sure, we'd love to. So we, we walked down the mountain, and the first Boma we came to was a rather large Boma. It was a Boma of a witch doctor who had just recently died. And so his many wives and their children still lived in this gathering of huts. And so they're very polite, very cordial people. So the pastors that we were with went and asked the, the eldest sons of this gentleman who'd passed away if we could come into the Boma and share a little bit about who we were. And they graciously said, yes, please come in. And so we went in, and, and I was there with my pastor, and he got up and he shared a little bit from the Word, shared his testimony. And while he was sharing, there were three young men that were sitting off to the side, and they just, the more he spoke, the more agitated they became. And one of the young men got up in the middle of what Pastor Matt was saying, and he, he went off 
for a little bit, and then he came back and he sat down, and, and when Matt gave the invitation, this young man stood up and he said, well, I don't know how powerful your God is, but if he's so powerful, we have a young girl here in the village who's had a high fever for days, and she keeps having epileptic fits. We've called for the witch doctor. He's on his way. But if your God is so powerful, can he make her better? And so Pastor Matt said, let's pray for her. And we gathered her around, and he looked at me. He goes, can't pray. What? So we laid our hands on this young girl. She was 12 or 13. She was burning up. And all of us prayed for her. We left that village, and we actually met the witch doctor on the path, and we shared with him, and we shared in the, in the valley the whole day. About 2.30 in the afternoon, we started coming back to go back up the mountain before it got dark. And as we were walking through that first Boma, that first village we stopped in, here comes this little girl we'd prayed for. She's running and excited, and she said, my fever is gone. What do you do with that? You see, I didn't expect Jesus to do something that day. What do you do with it? And I came home and I wrestled with that and I wrestled with that and I wanted to be a man of faith and so I prayed for people asking God to do, you know, to heal and, and it just seemed like my, my prayers were to no avail. In 2017, we went back to the mountain village and the pastor said, let's go back down in the valley to the places we were last year. And one of our team members was sick, so I didn't go down. I stayed to care for them. And the rest of the team went down. And the first place they stopped was that village where that little girl the year before had been healed. And they were sitting down. There were seven mothers. There were seven wives that were part of this village and the seven mamas were sitting there, and they were, our team was sharing with them, and it was, Matt said it was just, it was ice cold. It was, there was no receptivity there at all. And out of one of the homes came this little girl, and she walked over to Pastor Matt, and she said, I remember you, and she even said his name. You're the ones who prayed for me last year, and I've not been sick since. After she gave that testimony, all seven mothers received Jesus that day. You see, Jesus acted today. Why? For the glory of the Father. He knew exactly what was going to happen when our team went back to that village the next year. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? When Jesus spoke to the disciples, he said, This Sickness will not end in death. And Jesus did a miracle. So who is Jesus? If we see how Jesus worked with Martha, taught Martha, encouraged Martha we see that he wanted her to see something really special. He wants us to see something really special. If we go to John 11, starting with verse 38. So we've already seen Jesus talk to Mary. We've already seen him have compassion. We see that he's wept, that he's cared We've seen him be criticized. 
says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. And what's Martha's response? But Lord, by this time, there's a bad odor, for he has been here for four days. She still didn't quite get it. And I'm not criticizing her because I don't know that I would have gotten it if I would have been in Martha's shoes. But then Jesus again shares these words. Did I not tell you, Martha, that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. You see, everything Jesus did pointed to the Father. Everything Jesus was about was helping those who followed him, who believed in him, to see that who we are and what we do is not so much for us, but rather for the glory of God. And it says he called out, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out. Jesus loves people. He loves us beyond anything we could ever imagine or even hope for. But he's always going to remain true to who he is. And that means he's going to be misunderstood at times. Who is Jesus? The one who's sent by the Father and brings God the glory. The one who's sent by the Father who brings God the glory. Do me a favor. Just turn to the person next to you. Take a look at them. Just really quickly. Do you realize that the person sitting next to you is one who's sent by the Father to bring him glory? Do you realize that you, I wish we had mirrors, we could just look in the mirror, where you could look at yourself and say, I'm sent by God to bring him the glory. Because that's who we are, you all. We're the church. We're the body of Christ. We will not always be understood. But we must always love well. Jesus did. So I just, I want to close with this. Ask yourself the question, how will I answer the question, who is Jesus? Is he the Messiah? And I believe that every one of us sitting in here today would say, yes, he is. And we believe Jesus will do miraculous things. He already has. But do we believe he wants to do them today? Do we believe he wants to use us as he does them today. And just like Jesus was sent by the Father to bring him glory, so he sends us. So he sends us. At the end, I believe Martha got it. 
When she saw her brother walk out of the tomb in his grave clothes, I think she got what Jesus was wanting her to see. My heart's cry this morning is that we will see it too. My heart's cry this morning is that we will see it too. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Your word that's truth. Your word, your son, as John says in the beginning of his gospel, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And our prayer this morning is that your word would live in us and through us. And that we would live expectantly, Lord, and obediently. That you would make our hearts, Lord, sensitive to the nudge of your Holy Spirit so that we can say yes. And then you can do what you so deeply desire to do in us and through us today. God, I thank you for every person here, every person who's watching. And I pray, Lord, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May it be so, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name.